Well, man, that'll get you fired up this morning and get your heart pumping, right? Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you're here with us today. Today we are in the conclusion of our series, Rebel. And if you haven't been with us, I highly encourage you to check it out on our website or on the podcast and begin to also download the spiritual growth challenges that will help you in your relationship with God. Well, if you haven't been with us for the last three weeks, you have missed Trent, our lead pastor, in full rebel mode, okay? Yeah, you heard me correctly, all right? He's been letting his inner rebel out, all right? He's been coming out to his own theme music. Uh, he's been riding his bike to church. Check this out. Um, yeah, like in his full bike on and everything. So, And then he's also been dressing up on stage in his rebel gear, and so check that out, Yep. And that picture actually made it onto Facebook, and the Food Network uh, actually contacted us and asked us to take down Guy's picture. Yeah, see a little resemblance there? Um, Trent wasn't too happy about that because he thought he looked like a rebel and uh, not Guy. Uh, (laughs) But seriously, for the last three weeks, we have been looking at how we all have a little bit of a rebel within us. And... um, Some of us are like that in-the-face, kind of outright rebel. Some of us are those subtle rebels. And so in the first week, we learned that uh, despite our rebellion, that our rebellion can lead us towards God if we allow it. And then in the second week, we learned uh, through Saul's story that partial disobedience is actually disobedience. And so many of us, um, what God would want from us is actually obedience instead of just going through the motions of things and trying to please him. And then last week, Solomon, uh, we learned from his story uh, that he slipped slowly into a subtle rebellion. And most of us kind of do that as well. And it takes us Uh, away from our relationship with God. There's so many things in this world that get our attention and we subtly turn into a rebel and we find ourselves away from God. And so we've been checking out in this entire series um, that we all have this rebel within us and we've been looking at how to overcome uh, that rebellion. Now, if you and I were to get into a one-on-one conversation and we start talking about rebellion, uh, for the most part, we would agree that rebellion can be dangerous or even destructive. And in our conversation, we would also see how rebellion can sever our relationships or that it can really uh, just quickly uh, get out of control. But as we engage that conversation, we would get to a point where we would ask some questions. Well, is all rebellion wrong? You know, is there a point where rebellion might be right? Could rebellion be a good thing? Are there things worth fighting for uh, that we should be fighting for and against? Now, you may not know this, but I'm a history geek, you know, guilty as charged, all right? Uh, I've always loved history. I'm the guy who goes on tours, and I love to get those audio things of the self-guided tour, and I love punching in all the numbers, and I'm the type of person who punches in the extra numbers, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, How many fellow history geeks do I have out there in the audience? Okay, just a few of us. Well, anyways, um, I love history. And today we're going to focus a little bit on history for a second to help us out with this subject. So are you ready to help me? Oh, come on. That's like bad. All right. Get some coffee in you if you need some more. Are you ready? All right. There we go. Now, I've got a little bit of a quiz, and it's an easy quiz. All right. Here's the question that I want to frame up for you. 
All right, what is the most famous rebellion that led us to becoming a country? Uh, close, but what was it called? The American Revolutionary War. Awesome, you are correct, all right? Now, in the American Revolutionary War, we secured our freedom from Great Britain, and many of our founding fathers um, justified our rebellion or trying to separate from Great Britain because Great Britain had made laws, and they were breaking their own laws. And so we decided to rebel against Great Britain and separate ourselves from them. And uh, the problem with that rebellion is that many people lost their lives. In fact, people lost their lives on both sides, in America and also in Great Britain. And it cost a lot of people a lot of things during that war. Now, what's not known in history is that there was another rebellion taking place about the same time. And this rebellion was different. This rebellion did not involve a war. It did not involve soldiers. It didn't involve a nation losing its power. In fact, this war was against something that was so important, it's probably one of the most important issues in modern human history. Now, does anybody by chance know what that other rebellion is? Give you a chance. All right, see, it's not very much known, but you should know this, all right? The rebellion was the abolition of slavery, all right? That was taking place at the same time. Now, let me give you a definition of abolition. Abolition refers to the act of putting an end to something by law. So as Europeans began to settle the New World in the 1500s, they began to import enslaved Africans across the Atlantic, and so for 300 years, they imported almost 11 million people across the Atlantic to do work for them. So a lot of ship owners made a lot of money. A lot of plantation owners made a lot of money. A lot of politicians made a lot of money off of the work of slaves. Now at that point, slaves were treated horribly. I want to give you a picture of what happened with these slaves. Many captains would load up their boats with slaves, overload their boats, because they knew that they would lose some lives along the dangerous trip. And it took about, on average, 35 to 50 days to cross the Atlantic back then. And so beneath board, they would cram in slaves as much as possible, almost no room to move. They had diagrams on how to do this. And so at, there were no restrooms. They passed a bucket around. So you could imagine the conditions and how horrible they were below deck. And often many diseases would break out and many people would lose their lives. And also a lot of the Africans, they would get discouraged and they would try to take their own lives because they lost hope at that point. Now, if they made it to the new world and they were sold into slavery, the average life expectancy on a plantation was only seven to nine years. Can you believe that? That's how hard they were worked. Now, in the late 1700s, everyone was profiting off of slavery. And there was no way that anyone could ever imagine that Great Britain would give this practice up. And there were only a few people who thought they might be able to do something about it. But it looked pretty bleak, and someone had to stand up. And someone did, along with the encouragement of some support of his friends and other people who joined the cause. Now, that one man who raised up back then to fight this, his name was William Wilberforce, okay? Now, at first, he didn't look like much, all right? In his young days, he was a spoiled kid. He was rich. He was wasting his life away. But at the age of 25, 
he became a Christ follower. And the year prior to that, he had just bought his way into parliament as a politician. And at that point, he had a real decision. All right, do I stay in parliament or do I give my life to become a minister? And he sought out his friend, John Newton, who was a minister and who was also a former, former captain of a slave ship. And he encouraged him to continue to be in the House of Commons and to fight and to do God's will. So let's check out that conversation. Now, after John Newton encouraged his friend to fight and to do good and not to give up, uh, William wrote this after the encouragement of some of his friends. He said, the grand object of my parliamentary existence, if it please God to know me so far, may I be the instrument of stopping such a course of wickedness and cruelty as never before disgraced a Christian country. So Wilberforce launched his campaign to end the slave trade in 1787, and uh, he fought for 20 years along with others in Parliament to end the slave trade. And so he faced much opposition from his friends, from his fellow countrymen. Uh, He went up against people who were pressuring him, such as the captains, such as the plantation owners and the officials, to give up, but yet he would not give up. He fought so hard that it affected his health tremendously, but yet he would not stop. And he continued to fight and even received death threats, but yet he would not stop. He continued to do good until the slave trade was conquered. And 20 years later, in 1807, a bill was passed to end the slave trade in transporting slaves from Africa to the New World. But yet, slavery was still in existence in the British Empire. It took another 26 years of him fighting and others fighting to end this. And three months before he died in 1833, the British Parliament passed the abolition of slavery in terms of ending slavery within the British Empire. 46 years he fought to end slavery in the empire. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine giving 46 years of your life to fight for something day in and day out and not get down and not get discouraged? And he didn't use any physical force. He didn't raise up an army. He didn't uh, use any violence in order to overcome what was going on in that moment. Instead, he continued to fight through legislation. Now, where does a man get the strength to do that? You know, where does the man get the strength to fight something and try to change people's perspectives, try to change the perspective of an entire nation uh, to be against slavery? So today, we are actually going to look at William Wilberforce's inspiration that he drew upon during those 46 years, because we know how easy it is to give up. It's really hard these days, and it's easier just to give up. It's easier to stop doing good and to give up. And so today we're going to look at the inspiration that William Wilberforce drew from today. So if you would, would you open up your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 6. And if you have a smartphone device, go ahead and uh, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and get one from the back. But turn to chapter uh, 6 of Luke uh, in your Bibles to verse 6. So let me tell you what's going on at this point in the history of Jesus' life, okay? 
Israel was under the control of the Roman Empire and it had been for a while. And this was rather embarrassing for Israel because Israel uh, was constantly reminded of their past rebellion that got them to this point and being under Rome's control. You see, they were supposed to be a nation that God was going to use to bless all nations and they were supposed to be the leaders, but at this point they weren't the leaders and so they were down on themselves. And in order to maintain an identity of a nation, under Roman control, the religious leaders implemented all of these religious laws and all of these uh, control devices within the religion to be able to control the people, to form this national identity uh, underneath that. And as a result, the people never knew their standing with God because they were always breaking all the rules. I mean, it was impossible to follow all the rules. And they never knew uh, at that point uh, how much... Um, that they were really doing well, and they thought that God was always angry with them. And to make matters worse, the religious leaders were always reminding them every single day of how they were breaking the rules. Yeah, you know, like the religious leaders controlled things and they had somewhat of an identity underneath the Romans, but at what cost? You know, the religious leaders misrepresented God. So something had to be done. Someone had to stand up. Someone had to show a nation exactly who God was because they had forgotten who God was. And someone had to show the world exactly who God was. So let's start in verse six and see this very insightful interaction. It's kind of coming to the um, cusp of the fight between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. So verse six, on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand, and the language here kind of implies that it probably uh, got messed up in a major accident. Um, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. And the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, or the top dogs of the day, watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now let's pause here and let me tell you what's going on here, all right? This isn't Jesus's like first rodeo with the Pharisees at this point. At this point, the plot is kind of thickening. They've been in battle. On the onset of Jesus's ministry, uh, the Pharisees were provoking Jesus all the time because they wanted to see if he was the real deal and they continued to fight with him. But on the other hand, Jesus also went at it with them as well. And this is a little bit different. Like, we're used to the Jesus who, you know, loves everyone, who's kind. You know, if someone has, um, needs healing or if someone is humbled or comes to him brokenhearted over their sin, we've seen Jesus often healing something that's physically wrong or forgiving someone's sin or beginning a relationship with him or with them. And instead, Jesus, when it comes to the Pharisees, goes toe-to-toe with them. He's constantly battling in them because they misrepresent God. And so often they would get in a conflict over the Sabbath because the Sabbath was initially instituted by God for us to uh, be able to rest and to be able to worship him on the seventh day. And that's not what was happening on that day. Instead, the religious leaders were in control. Now, they always knew that Jesus uh, was tempted to heal people on the Sabbath. And to them, they had this one law that said, you know what, you can't practice medicine on the Sabbath unless a person is dying. That's the only way. Um, and so they thought, well, 
if Jesus is going to do this and break our laws and break our traditions, you know, then we can capture him in this moment. And this is the way that we could get rid of him because he's gaining popularity and we don't like him. And so they planned, you know, we can get rid of him because there is a stipulation. If you treat the Sabbath badly, yeah, we could do away with you, with your life. And so the Pharisees uh, chose to go out on this Sabbath looking for Jesus. Their intention wasn't like to worship Jesus. Their intention was try to get rid of Jesus. So let's see things as they kind of heat up in this battle here. And the Pharisees at this moment, they thought they had him. All right, watch this, verse eight. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And this is always a game changer, all right? They thought they were like bringing it, and here's Jesus about to light things up, all right? Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Now, this is what I love about Jesus, all right? He didn't back down when things got tough. He didn't quit. He didn't turn his back and run. And, you know, when I look at things today, it's pretty easy to quit, isn't it? You know, we all know someone who's in a job and things start to get tough in that job and they just decide to get another job because they can get another job. You know, for some of us, you know, we find when we get in a conflict with a friend, it's just easier just to defriend them and click a button and we're no longer friends with them. Or for some of us, if we don't like our neighbor, you know, we clean out the garage and we actually start using our garage so that we don't have to see our neighbor. You know, isn't that some of the behaviors that we start to do? Or for some of us, you know, if we're not getting along with our spouse, look how easy it is in our society to be able to get a divorce. You don't need a cause. There used to be tons of laws that you had to do tons of different things in order to get a divorce, but not so. Or for some of us, when we get in conflict with somebody, it's easier just to take them to court and get rewarded for doing it instead of working things out. Or if we don't like what someone stands for, then in the comfort of our living room, we can just change the channel and tune into something that we like. It's so easy today to quit. It's so easy to give up and not fight. But yet that's not what Jesus did. Jesus chose to stand. And let's watch how he chose to stand in this moment. Verse nine, then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? So, man, this is like a major throwdown from Jesus. You know, he is calling out the Pharisees in this moment. In essence, what he's saying to the Pharisees in this moment is, hey, I've come to do good from heaven. And every time I have a conversation with you guys, you guys are always trying to quote the man-made laws instead of doing good. You know, today I have the intention to restore this man's life who's suffering, who can't like work probably to his fullest, and I'm planning to do good, but yet at the same time, what's going on in your hearts? There's evil in your hearts. Your thoughts and your hearts are trying to plan on how to get rid of me. I'm thinking if I'm one of the Pharisees in the room at that moment, and everything has kind of gotten quiet, I'm sure, in that room as Jesus just said this to them, and it's kind of a showdown in this moment, I'm sure if I'm one of the Pharisees in the back of the room, I'm thinking to myself, how does this guy know my thoughts? How does this guy know my heart? Might this guy be what he's really claiming to be? Is he really God himself? You know, only God knows the thoughts and the heart of man. 
That's what's in scripture. And they knew the scriptures. They would have seen, wow, what is going on in front of this? Who is this guy? But yet they ignored what Jesus had just done in front of them. But if that didn't get, wasn't clear enough, here's what Jesus does as well. And I love this, all right? Jesus does something extraordinary. In verse 10, Jesus looked around at them one by one. So here's kind of like the big showdown. Everybody's got their hands on their guns and ready to draw, you know? And it's pretty much like Jesus is saying, hey, make my day, you know? Uh, and he says this, or he does this instead. He says, to the man who has the deformed hand, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Like this is amazing. No one was doing that kind of stuff. This guy didn't like get partial use of his hand back. He didn't like have three out of his five fingers like functioning again. This man, the language here from Luke, who's writing this, who's a medical doctor, said the hand was like new. It was like nothing had ever happened to the man's hand. He was healed. He didn't have to go to therapy. This guy was completely healed in front of everyone. And in that moment, it was clear who Jesus was. But yet, these Pharisees, these religious leaders continued to ignore what Jesus had done because they had determined in their hearts the course of action that they were about to take on the Sabbath. Now, let's see what they do because that wasn't enough for them. Verse 11, at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. In Mark 3, 6, we learned this. At once, the Pharisees went, out, went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Isn't that ironic? You know, here's Jesus who does good on the Sabbath. How wrong is it to heal a man's hand on the Sabbath you know, he wasn't breaking God's uh, intentions for the Sabbath at all. And yet the Pharisees are so upset that they storm off ready to plot Jesus's death on the Sabbath, like break one of the 10 commandments, thou shalt not murder. And they go out with their enemies and start to plan together on how to defeat Jesus. You know, isn't that ironic? And unfortunately, the Pharisees never saw the errors of their way, or at least they didn't admit it, you know? And after this incident, they continued to try to strike at Jesus for two more years and try to get him pinned down, but yet Jesus never gave up. Jesus continued to engage them when he engaged them and didn't give up on them either. And Jesus continued to protect the people and stand for the people and to show them who exactly God was so that they would know who God was and clear up that. And so in this moment, you've got Jesus who continues to persevere all the way to the end. And he continues to fight. He continues to not give up. Because the only way to get past our rebellion and the Pharisees' rebellion was to die. Jesus went to the end and gave his life because that's the ultimate price that needs to be given for our rebellion. He paid the price. That's how he fought for us. He gave up his life. That's his response to rebellion, to do good and not to give up. 
And that was William Wilberforce's inspiration. When William Wilberforce became a Christ follower, he recognized what Jesus had done in his own life when he became a Christ follower, that he was freed from his sins, that he was enslaved to his sins. And so what more could he do in response to how he had been set free? Well, he took on the injustices of the day. He took on the slave trade, and he gave his life for that because he saw how much value that Jesus had given to him and how his life was freed. Now, when we fight for something that is right, the road is always tough. You know, there's always opposition. There's always the um, ability or there's always the temptation to give up in the midst of a fight at that point. But when we do what's right or when there's something that's right, it's worth it. Now, William Wilberforce, when he faced opposition, the idea came into his mind and often in front of him to do good and not give up. And so when he faced opposition, there were many times that his friends would encourage him to do good and don't give up. And so I think about that phrase and I think about Jesus when he faced the Pharisees on a regular basis and fought for us. And often Jesus would uh, go and pray uh, to the Father. And I wonder if the father just kind of whispered or echoed into him, do good and don't give up. Now, there's a lot of you here today that are fighting something or something in your life that you're ready to quit. And I wonder if you need to hear from the father, do good and don't give up. You know, yeah, we're not fighting like the slave trade, like Wilberforce. We're not, um, you know, fighting for all mankind like Jesus. But what are we fighting for? Is there something in your life that you've given up on? Is there something that you should do good and not give up? You know, when I think about that, there's a lot of things that we can do that are good, that we need to do, and that we don't need to give up. And I think a lot about your stories that are out there in the audience and how you have done good and not given up. I think of Rich and Nancy Carr, who've been married over 50 years, and they have four kids and 14 grandkids and five grandchildren, and they have continued to do good and not give up, and they've faced a lot throughout their lifetimes. And many of their grandkids and many of their kids have come to Christ and hundreds and hundreds of people's stories have been impacted because they continue to make the choice each day to do good and not to give up. You know, I think of some grandparents who have recently uh, gotten uh, custody of their grandkids uh, because of some situation that happened that wasn't uh, too great and they continue to show those kids God's goodness and they don't give up. And those kids will grow up one day knowing someone that loves them very dearly. I think of some of you who take on a job that most of society would say, you know, that job is not so great. But yet those people have determined that that is what they were made for and they continue to do good and not to give up. And because of that, there's many other fellow employees who continue to see who God is through them. There's some of you who Epic was your last church, that it was your last chance to, uh, to give to God. And I think about how you started to check out who God was and check us out, and you were able to connect with him and able to join in and get involved to do good and not to give up. And I think of how your story is now impacting other people's stories who are almost to the point of giving up, that this is their last shot on God and it's their last shot on church. You know, I think of several marriages that were in trouble and they go to get help 
and they do the hard work that's necessary. And I think about their kids now that have a father and mother that's going to raise them together because they've chosen to do good and not to give up on each other. I think about, you know, many of you who continue to reach out to the community, and we've always asked the question, if Epic were to shut its doors, would the community take notice, or would we just go away? And because of you and your involvement over the last five and a half years, that question is starting to be answered. There's some in the community that know that we are for them and not against them. There's some people, some of the partnerships that we work with, Habitat for Humanity and Grace Community Food Pantry and Alpha Pregnancy that say on a regular basis, we would not know what to do without Epic. And then I think about all of you and every week, week in and week out, as people come through those doors, how much you give and how much you continue to do good and not give up. And they recognize something is different about this church. You know, they are a church for people who don't do church. There's a place that I can belong and I can fit because there are volunteers here who continue to do good and not give up. So what's it that's in front of us? What's in front of you that you're so tempted to give up? What is it that God is whispering to you to not give up on? Because if we continue to do good and not give up, can you imagine what would happen in our community? Could you imagine what would happen in our world? Could you imagine what would happen to families, to friendships, to children, to our community, if for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, we determined in this room to do good and not to give up in what's right in front of us? Now, today, we're going to end with this song, Amazing Grace. And you may not know this, but this song was written by John Newton, who is Wil William Wilberforce's mentor and minister. And he's the guy who was a former captain of a slave ship, okay? And he wrote this song because his life was touched by Jesus. And in a response to what Jesus did to forgive him and to love him, he wrote this song that has been used for hundreds of years to inspire us to do good, and not to give up. And so what I want us to do during this song, if there's something that God has echoed into your mind to continue to fight for, I want you during this song just to simply talk to him and say, God, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stay committed to do good and not to give up. And so during that song, I want you to sing. I want you to listen to these words. I want them to inspire us to go out and not to give up. And so today, make that commitment and understand what God is whispering into our lives and what he's been doing throughout history in all of our lives. So let's pray together and then let's sing this song. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you have inspired us. In the midst of our rebellion that we've been learning during this series, that we all have a rebel within us, God, you never gave up on us. You continue to fight for us. God, you've shown us how to overcome our rebellion. We just need to lay that down at your feet. And many of the people in this room who've been during, here during this series have done that. And that's amazing. Now, God, you are whispering something into our hearts to fight for, whether that's for a family member, whether that's for our marriage, or whether that's for a relationship, our grandkids. What is it, God? Where do you want us to do good? and not to give up. 
And so today we are ready to make that commitment to you. We would love to see what would happen in this community if we continue to encourage each other day in and day out for the next 30, 40, 50 years, God. What impact could be made? What could be done to set people free? To see them come into a relationship with you through the things that we do that are so good so that they can see you. So Father, we just look forward to what you're going to do in our hearts. Thank you for men like William Wilberforce. Thank you for the John Newtons who continue to encourage his friend as he fought for 46 years to end slavery without one shot. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name's Cody, and I just want to take a few minutes to highlight a few things that we have going on here at Epic. So if you're new with us today, um, if you could, on your way out, just stop by the Connection Center, which is on your right before you leave. We would love to personally meet you, as well as answer any questions that you may have. So the next thing we're going to do is take a moment to celebrate you guys. If you guys could clear your hands and put things down for a minute, this is an opportunity to celebrate you. So I just want to say thank you for bringing food in this past month to support our partners over at Grace Community Food Pantry. You guys brought in over 1,600 pounds of food. So... You provided meals for a weekend for 125 families of homeless and displaced kids in our county. So that is awesome. So I just want to personally say thank you for what you guys do, always going above and beyond what we ever ask of you. You guys are awesome, and I just say thank you for being for Flagler and for our community. So guys and anybody with a mother, I'm going to help you out right now. Next weekend is Mother's Day, so that is my gift to you right there. Okay, so we're going to be celebrating mothers next Sunday, as well as we're going to be doing our child dedication. So if you're interested in dedicating your child to God, um, you can sign up online at theepicchurch.com. Again, that's going to be next Sunday on May 10th. So we've had several people ask when we're going to have Epic Day at the park again since this lovely Florida weather canceled it last time. And we found a date. We're going to have it on May 17th at 5.30. So put that on your calendars. It's going to be down at Wadsworth Park, which is right, over, right before you go over the bridge, down on 100, before you go to Flagler Beach on the left-hand side. And it's going to be by the softball field. So when you pull in, you go past the skate park, and you'll make a right, and it'll take you right back there. So we ask, bring your friends, your family, um, bring food, some chairs. Uh, we're going to have some fun activities as well as a bounce house for the kids. It's going to be a great time, so I ask that you just come out and join us for that. So <clears throat> currently we have two teams preparing to go on a trip down to our partner church in Antigua, Guatemala, where they're going to be building houses for uh, families in need. They're going to be serving at-risk children, and they're going to be providing medical care at a local clinic there. So even if you're not going, you can still help us out with that. There's a flyer on your chair that says, not going, give, if you could grab that. And it gives details on how you can be involved by supporting our teams, either with the home build, the medical care, or possibly team sponsorship. So I ask that you just take that home, you pray about it, and just do whatever God prompts you to do. And then also, if you could, be in prayer as our teams are preparing to go down there in just a few months. That's a big activity for us. 
So if you call Epic your home and you'd love to partner with us and what we're doing to reach the community, there's two ways that you can do that. You can do that online at theepicchurch.com or you can give in the giving boxes directly behind you. Again, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us and go ahead and check out this video.